Welcome to Give Him Hell Brigham. How are you doing tonight, Jeff? Doing well, Garrett. How are you doing? Uh, hanging in there. Another week. Ready to... Uh, glad it's Wednesday. Put it that way. Glad it's Wednesday. Glad we're back on the podcast. That was a fun week last week. Um, I think we got pretty good reviews. I mean, we're certainly not professionals yet, but I think it was pretty good for the first go-round. Yeah. Um, you know, there were a couple of glitches, and we'll see how uh, how Zoom holds up for us if it decides to cut out or not. And that's happened if, with at work a few times this week. But yeah, it seemed like people were happy. We got over uh, we got over a hundred listens, so that was exciting. We got a few mailbag questions, and so it's. I think we've got some good things going. Uh, I'm sure everyone heard we got our intro music. I know we got a new and actual logo coming. Uh, so it's that good work is coming on that front, and we've got some good things planned. It'll be fun. I'm excited about this. I'm excited to grow. It does help. If you enjoy this, even though it's been one episode and you're just starting on episode two, uh, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. Uh, but we really only want five-star reviews. You know, if you're not going to give us a five-star review, we don't want it. Don't give us these low reviews. This is five stars only on this podcast. Yeah, so we only want five-star athletes and only five-star reviews. That's Amen. what we're shooting for. Um, Amen. So a couple new things um, that we have. So because this is the name of our podcast is Give Them Hell Brigham, um, we have decided to call our fans Hellions. And we want to start something next week. So feel free to reach out to us. That we want to have a Hellion of the Week. And so we'll do this kind of going into the season. We'll have a Hellion of the Week for players, like on offense or defense or just to the game, um, same for like basketball, other sports. So there may be like a Cougar Hellion of the Week. Um, but then we also want to do a Cougar fan Hellion of the Week. So somebody who's just giving life hell and doing something awesome. So whether it's like, I don't know, somebody just finished chemo and are cleared cancer-free or got a big promotion or started a company or something happened like that, anything, nominate. You can't nominate yourself, but if you know somebody in Cougar Nation who's a Cougar fan, who deserves to be recognized, let us know. And we're going to work on some things, but we'll be sending them some love uh, here in a couple of weeks once we get some of our graphics done. Um, you know, get some uh, merchandise that's just for the Hellion of the Week uh, winners that we can send out to them. Yeah, that'll be fun. I'm excited about that. And we'll have some fun with it. Sometimes it is. It's going to be some serious stuff, you know, promotions at work and, and, and overcoming cancer, disease, whatever it is. I mean, it's going to be some big stuff. There are going to be weeks that, uh, especially as we get into football season, it's going to be, you know, our tailgate setup of the week and things like that. We're going to have some fun with it. Uh, please, if you know of anybody who you think has just killed it in this last week, let us know. And we'll get that uh, Hellion of the Week process started as early, yeah, next episode. And then we'll start running with it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Awesome. Okay. And then, uh, so like we uh, mentioned in our first episode that we are uh, we are on the staff for CougarSportsInsider.com, the 24-7 sports affiliate covering uh, BYU. And so if you like the podcast, in addition to subscribing, leaving us a review, um, tell us on the podcast. If you want to hop over uh, to CSI, Cougar Sports Insider, and uh, you know, join the board, subscribe, and we have a lot of great conversation. We do um, have Jeff, not me, Jeff provides a lot of inside information, especially on the recruiting trail and things that are going on inside, inside um, you know, all programs, everything we hear coming out of the athletic department um, to try to get you as much information as possible, as fresh as we can. Um, and so, and we have a promotion going on right now. So what's going on with that? What can people save? Yeah, right Right now it's 60% off of new annual memberships. 
that comes out to, uh, that comes, I can't remember the daily cost. It comes out to like $3 and 15 cents or something a day. Um, it, it Not really, a day, a, m- a month. Uh, excuse me. Yeah. A month. <laughs> and, uh, it, it really is a lot of fun. We, we have a, a really good time on the board. Um, I really have taken a lot of pride in the community that, that has kind of created itself. I'm not going to say we created it. Um, we have some message board rules that I think make the community really great. We don't talk politics. We don't talk religion. You know, we, we, we keep all that stuff that makes Twitter or Cougar board or some of these other places a little bit unbearable at times. All that stuff is, is strictly prohibited from the board. And we talk sports, you know, it's, it's BYU sports primarily, obviously, but uh, we, we talk college football as a whole. We talk college athletics as a whole. We talk a lot of recruiting. Um, it really is the premier place to, to learn about BYU athletics. It's a blast. So join today. If you don't want to take, uh, you know, commit to a full year yet, uh, you can join in your first month. Costs only a buck right now. That's the other half of this promotion. So really great try, great time to, to subscribe to Cougar Sports Insider. And if you are a uh, – and if you are – join as a VIP member to you also can get access to the boards for every other school in the country. Um, so that's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of rabbit holes to go down there and kind of get a pulse <laughs> of how other fans are feeling about their programs and see other things that are going on as well. Um, and you can also get access to CBS all access. So CBS is streaming platform as well. So that's, yeah. I mean, if, if you're already planning, I mean, if, it seems like, you know, everyone, ABC will, there's, I guess, Disney Plus is ABC, but there's a Peacock as NBC and CBS All Access and Fox is coming out there. So it's, you know, everyone, everyone's doing their own streaming thing, but you get CBS included uh, with a 24-7 membership. So that's something else to cut into that. And uh, you can probably watch a lot of CSI with your other CSI membership. Put it that Bam, way. Bam, it works out perfect. You know, if you want to stream King of Queens, that's the only place to do it. Can't do it anywhere else. Can't even buy them anymore. King that... Only on CBS All Access. We we actually just watched that entire series <laughs> a few months ago. We watched there's I think it's nine seasons or ten seasons something like that, and it's it's probably one of the most criminally underrated shows. Especially Absolutely. rest in peace, Jerry Sp- Jerry Stiller. Arthur Spooner is one of my favorite TV characters of all time. Yeah, criminally underrated. You you nailed it on the head. That show is one of the best shows of all time. And you can't find it anywhere. So, hey, join CSI. Take advantage of all these great perks. Uh, Garrett, let's get into some of our mailbag stuff this week. APR scores came out this week, and there's been a lot of talk about APR. And if you look at just the headlines, BYU football is was ranked 118th out of 130 schools, which sounds awful, right? I mean, 118th, that's actually worse than BYU's sack rating was this year. So BYU is doing better at creating pressure on the quarterback than they are at APR on the football team. But let's talk a little bit about what that means. So BYU checks in with a score of 946 uh, for their academic progress rate that the the NCAA assigns. Uh, What does that mean and why, I mean, why do we care? So, I mean, it's, to preface this, the max score on an APR is a thousand. So even a 946 out of a thousand, it's like, you know, you're looking at like a 95%, you know, it's still, that is an A. And so it's the APR. It's such, it's a very, it's an overrated number. And it's basically it, all the schools were clumped together. So 118, I bet you, if you looked at it, like number 25 or 30 is probably like a 965. Like there's not that much of a difference, but really it's our guys staying in school 
And are they staying on track to graduate within five years? And so where other schools, and even if you have somebody transfer out, then, you know, it kind of can hurt you depending on where they land at another school. Um, but where BYU really gets bit with the APR and it's not missions, missions are, don't go into this. So that's not a problem. Um, I know that's kind of a myth that floats around is if you have an honor code thing late in the year where a guy, you know, something happens and they have to drop from the program and they don't land anywhere else, then they can, um, you know, they can, it, that's what, where it hurts the score. And if you have somebody drop like that, it will knock your score down like five or 10 points for the next, you know, four years. Cause they, yeah. they, that number sticks until they are supposed to have graduated. Yep. Yeah. And that's, so that's a big deal. And that really is where it comes from. Um, a lot of people will look at this. And so there, there's kind of narratives with the APR scores, especially as it comes around with BYU that you hear, and you, you touched on one that the missions, you know, have a big impact. They really don't, right? There's the same kind of exemption for the APR calculation that exists for missionaries that it does for an eligibility calculation, right? That everything kind of just gets put, put on pause if they are on a service mission. So, so that, doesn't, that doesn't really play a role, but it does play a role in the sense that missions and missionaries and really their choice to serve or not serve or come home early or, or leave after two years of serving or of playing football, all that stuff goes into that greater roster juggle, like juggling act that the coaching staff has to play. And that can, uh, I guess, provide itself some unexpected things that happen that can impact that APR score a little bit for BYU football. The other thing that matters here especially this week when you see the APR scores come out, you'll see schools who do well really tout that APR score. And they should. That's great. That's awesome. You know, the top 10, 15 schools in the country, they should tout it. This is in no way an indicator of the quality of the, the, your you know, education at any given school, right? BYU being ranked 118th in APR does not mean that they have a terrible degree uh, Stanford, they're calculated the same way that Boise State is when it comes to the APR scores. So I think what, what that means and what that does for BYU is it's interesting. Uh, I, I look at BYU and I compare them a little bit to a school like UCLA when it comes to APR. Uh, when I look at – a lot of people will look at Stanford, and Stanford's usually in the top 10 or 15, and they'll say, well, hey, no school is harder than – uh, no school is harder than uh, than Stanford in NCAA, and they are in the top ten or fifteen. So why wouldn't you know BYU be able to replicate that? Well, when kids go to Stanford, even the kids who are uh, who are there and as highly recruited athletes, they're there to go to school first. That's what Stanford recruits, and that's who they get. Uh, BYU is a little bit closer to UCLA than Stanford in that regard, that the guys who are coming to BYU are there to play football. And so BYU does really well in some other sports where maybe the professional aspirations of those athletes aren't there because there's not a professional, you know, women's cross country league that somebody's going to go and make millions of dollars. Um, so really it comes down to the athlete and how well the athlete does in school. It's not really indicative of the school itself. So, BYU can improve, uh, but they are right there with a school like UCLA in, in, in their ranking. In fact, I think they're a few spots ahead of UCLA this year. Ultimately, it doesn't mean a ton, but it does play a role in how BYU uh, can manage their roster.
Yeah, Mike, I know we've talked about this. Well, I guess we haven't talked about it on the show yet, but you you have talked about this often with the scholarship situation that we are a few over the limit right now. And so that is part of the APR score is not only academic progress, it's retention of just guys keeping school. So even if a guy just decides to up and quit and say, you know, I'm not really feeling it anymore. My heart's not in it. I don't want to do this to my body. I'm done playing. Then you lose part of their APR points, even if they are academically eligible. And so that can make things tricky because if you, you know, are walking into a situation where, you know, we're a few scholarships over the 85 scholarship limit for FBS schools. And so there's going to be a few guys that leave the program or have their scholarship removed. And if they leave the program, that hurts the APR score. And so that is something, um, that's something to kind of monitor um, going forward as, you know, we kind of sort this out. Um, the next question we got is, what impact will Jason Ayu and Jack DeMooney have being in charge of recruiting? And can BYU compete with blue chip programs? You know, it seems like most of the top talent goes out of state. And the person who asked specifically mentioned uh, Stanley Havili, Halotinyatha, and Xavier Suofilo, et cetera. It seems like most of the top talent um, is really going out of state. So what impact will they have? What do you think? Uh-oh. A big impact. They already have had a big impact. Uh, Jason, especially, he he's really connected, and he's got a ton of experience around recruiting. Um, he he wasn't you know a highly touted recruit himself, but his brothers were, and he saw a little bit of what that looked like. And then obviously, Chaz, his son, was a huge recruit, big enough that that BYU of all places allowed him to land a helicopter in the stadium when he announced his commitment. I mean, Chaz IU was being recruited by everybody. And so Jason got a firsthand look at what these schools did to try and lure an LDS athlete who had mission plans like Chaz did to their school. So he got to see kind of the enemy territory and what their pitch was, and he knows exactly how to combat that. The other thing with Jason is, is he's a really, really bright, bright guy. I mean, he, he's smart. He'd be successful in business. He'd be successful in a number of different careers. And so he runs the recruiting department a little bit differently than it's been run over the last couple uh, of years, that he's very business oriented. He's going to have KPIs. He's using data. He's using metrics to uh, you know, make a lot of these decisions for him. And he wants a lot of control. He wants to take some of the control from the coaches, from the, yeah, the position coaches themselves. And he wants to own all of that recruiting process. That's going to help him and the roster. That's going to help Kalani manage the roster, stay organized just by him wanting to own that. And then on top of that, he's a really personable guy and he is as connected as anybody else on this coaching staff. He has great connections, especially here locally at Timpview High School, Orem High School. Uh, you know, so that, that lends itself to guys like Logan Fano and Kingsley Suamatea and, and guys like that. Um, I don't know where BYU stands, right? I, I mean, we, we've talked with those guys, you know, those recruits, Logan and, and Kingsley, and, and they say the right things. I don't know how realistic it is to expect either one of them to commit to BYU, but without Jason IU, they really weren't entertaining BYU at all. Now that he's on board and he's taken some control, uh, they are. And they're, they're, they're considering BYU, I feel, a little bit more confident in Logan uh, than I do Kingsley, for sure. Um, but you know, three, four months ago, they weren't even picking up the phone. And, and that's a big deal uh, that will help long-term. Maybe it doesn't help immediately in this 2021 class, but in 2022, 2023, that's when you start to see big dividends from Jason IU. 
And especially in the 2021 class, uh, because I, just because of the scholarship situation, it's going to be probably the smallest signing class in BYU history, unless, sure. you know, unless there's a lot of sign and sends um, or a lot of guys decide to walk away from the program for other reasons and clear up some scholarships. But, um, you know, and it's part an addendum onto that question that the, you know, was asked, you know, was about going after that blue chip talent and it, you know, and, they're going to go after guys, especially the in-state guys, but resources are not infinite. And so the biggest part of recruiting in a lot of cases is just who gives you the most love. And so if, you know, you're the first, it helps to be the first one in the door and be there early and often. Um, but if, you know, if a guy just isn't interested, you have to know when to just move on because you can't, every phone call that you make and spend you know, talking to them, you could be talking to someone else who may be more interested. So there is that balancing act to play. But some guys, like, you know, really do consider BYU the whole time. Some guys, it's just, you know, they may want to get away from home. And it's, so I know, um, actually, Xavier Suofilo's dad was a counselor in a bishopric when I was in a student ward. And he, you know, so I got to know him a bit. And he was just like, you know, he he grew up, he went to Tim View, he grew up going to BYU games, and he just, he wanted a different experience and wanted to kind of go away from home and branch on his own, and there's, you know, nothing wrong with that. He still, they like BYU. He actually, you know, he married a girl who was an athlete at BYU, um, and so, you know, they still love the Cougars, but just he wanted something different, so a lot of times, that's it, and it, you know, wouldn't matter necessarily if it's a blue chip. It's just something away from Provo um, and just away yeah. from home and kind of going out and spreading their wings. Um, and you know, that's just kind of the way it happens sometimes um, happening everywhere. Right. I mean, you look across the country, uh, and one of the biggest narratives that USC and UCLA fans have right now. And if you take advantage of our CSI deal, you can get the firsthand scoop from our UCLA and USC boards. Uh, they, they're struggling to keep top talent in California. It's, it's a big deal and it's a big talking point. Uh, because kids want to move away from home, uh, right? I think just last week, two weeks ago, there was a highly recruited, uh, highly recruited five-star guy out of Alabama, kind of sandwiched right in the middle of Auburn and Alabama. He signed with Tennessee. Uh, Alabama wanted him. Auburn wanted him. Auburn went after him hard, and he went with Tennessee. Uh, kids want to leave from home. It's not always this huge indicator that, wow, the program is in shambles. That's not what it is. It's everywhere in the country right now is trying to keep their kids home, and it's tough to do. Right, and even, I mean, if you look at last year, the number one quarterback uh, in the country, well, I guess depending on which site you look at, DJ Uyagalele, like he went, he's from, played at St. John Bosco, you know, same high school as Josh Rosen, you know, played in the Pac-5 or in the Trinity League in the Pac-5. So that's basically, if you look, almost every USC and UCLA starting quarterback ever since the dawn of time has come through there. Um, you know, they've basically the league champion quarterback from that league goes and signs with it historically has signed with a Pac-12 team every single year and most often with USC or UCLA. And, you know, he's going all the way across the country to little Clemson, South Carolina um, to go play for Dabo. And even, you know, 15 years ago, that would have never happened. You kind of saw it with you happening more with USC, you know, in the Pete Carroll era at their peak. Um, with Liner and Bush and those things because like um, like Dwayne Jarrett was from New Jersey and Joel McKnight was from uh, Louisiana and so you kind of saw it starting then but that was very much like that was just at the beginning and now it's it's everywhere and so that you know 20 years ago this just wouldn't even be a thing and wouldn't have happened um, 
So, yeah. I, I, it, and it, it kind of, that's kind of a, a good segue into some of the, the recruiting changes that have happened. Uh, recruiting's different now than it was even 10 years ago. Um, and, and one thing that makes it different is recruiting sites. And it's all these showcase camps, it's satellite camps, it's things like that. And it's really uh, given schools an opportunity to start extending more offers than they ever have. I mean, schools like Tennessee, especially, I, I, think, they, I think they extended 400, I can't remember the exact number, it was like 470 something offers last year to fill 25 spots. Like that's just not, obviously that they're not gonna sign 400 plus kids. But that's just kind of goes to show how the game has changed over the last 10 years. And one thing that I want to do on this podcast is talk a little bit about some of those recruiting changes, maybe not every week, but uh, we'll just talk about some of the behind the scenes stuff of recruiting. And one of those things is that committable offer versus a non-committable offer. It sounds like such a you know, counterintuitive term that there's an offer that's non-committable. Is non-committable even a word? I don't think so, right? But it is so much the truth of what it, what recruiting in 2020 is. Coach Mateos actually tweeted about it after he extended an offer uh, earlier this week about how he's getting sick and tired of seeing coaches that they haven't even talked to kids. They've definitely never evaluated them or seen them in person. And all of a sudden, they're, they're calling up a kid for the first time and extending a scholarship, you know, quote, unquote, offer. And he posed the question on his Twitter account, what if that kid said, hey, coach, you know, whoever from Tennessee University, I want in. I'm ready to commit right now. That kid's not going to – they're not going to accept that commitment. They haven't even seen him on film, right? They haven't even seen him in person. He's never been on campus. But they still extend this scholarship offer. And that's where this term – non-committable offers comes from and it is very very real as much as I think it's kind of ridiculous and it, it shouldn't be real it's very much a part of what recruiting is and we're seeing a lot of it this year especially with COVID-19 that schools are accepting I guess more commitments so they're, they're extending out all of these offers and typically uh, when a kid would try to commit uh, the schools would say no and just start, you know, kicking that can down the road while they went after their higher priorities. But because there's so much uncertainty with recruiting going on in the future, uh, because of COVID-19, schools are saying yes. We had a great article by one of our national guys on 24-7 Sports earlier this week, and it's something like 735 recruits are committed currently as part of the class of 2021. And, and last year it was last like in year. the 300s. Like, it yeah, was like it's more than double. Yeah. Right. And so that's going to be this crazy thing to watch out for down the recruiting stretch over the next few months is that probably lends itself to a whole bunch of decommitments that are going to happen because schools, you know, once, once football opens back up and schools start to look at these players a little bit more closely, they're going to realize, Oh, you know what? You're not who we thought we, we offered, or we got somebody else from a different school down the street that we want more. We're going to have to cut you loose it's going to happen. And normally that is kind of mitigated by these non-committable offers. But right now in 2020, uh, there's just like an epidemic of commitments. It's crazy. Right. And so it's almost like, I mean, before you get, you have a little letter, letter of interest and then maybe you get, start getting phone calls and things, but now it really is the offer is almost like that is the first step in the road of like, Hey, we're throwing this offer out there. And that means we're 
kind of sort of really interesting. It's almost like you're playing NCAA 14 and it's the off season and it's recruiting and you just go through and you filter yeah. out and say, okay, everyone who is, has, I'm in their top 10. I'm going to sort through that and I'm going to offer all of them and just see what happens. I'm going to sim to the next week and be like, Ooh, I rose up to that guy's top five. Okay. I'm going to keep going with that one. And that's almost the way recruiting is like in real life. And it's bizarre, but that's the way, like you said, the things work now and it's, you're going to see a ton of decommitments, which you can usually tell. So if a guy is a five star, like obviously if they're four or five star, a decommitment, if they are committed to a smaller school and going to a, you know, more prestigious blue chip program, it's usually the player. But if you see a three-star player who decommits or lower, that's usually the school moving on. And you're going to see a lot of weird things talking about um, going on with this. And this fall season is going to be weird. And my wife and I were actually talking about this last night, um, how she, so she went to a private high school. She went to a Catholic high school uh, right on the Arizona, California border. And you know, they are one of the better 3A programs in uh, the state of Arizona. And football is a very big deal at that school. And they um, were talking about this, that depending on how different states open up and what happens with sports, there are going to be a lot of families that do everything they can to get their kid out of one state and playing in a different state. Because if you had an okay, but not great, or maybe a pretty good junior year, and you're the kind of player who's like, maybe you're getting, you have a couple FCS offers, you're getting some FBS interest, and you're the kind of kid that like you come out and have a big senior year. And then it's like, that's what's going, you need that big senior year. If you're living in a state that says, oh no, we're not doing football season this fall. You're going to do everything you can to get your kid, you know, to, if it's you're in California, if you go to Nevada, Arizona, or even however far, you know, you're going to do what you can to get that. So I think it's going to be a very strange, no matter what happens, a very strange football season. And we were talking about it and we were like, okay, yeah, there's probably going to be a couple of kids from California who somehow, you know, find a way and, you know, from Palm Springs an hour away to that suddenly they're going to this private school in Arizona because they want to be able to play because they are really close to getting a scholarship um, yeah. where they feel that they are. And that's going to happen. And I, I mean, regardless of everything, it's, I can't blame anyone for trying to put their kids in this position to be able to succeed and play division one athletics. Um, but it's just going to be a weird year all around recruiting both even at that point recruiting both at the high school level and the collegiate level yeah it's gonna be really weird and it's gonna be everywhere even here locally in utah uh jackson light is a four-star recruit he's an offensive lineman out of corner canyon high school committed to oregon right now uh he even has a you know a p5 commitment already secured and his mom jen she tweeted out earlier this week that uh, if utah were to cancel high school football for whatever reason or delay it They've already got plans in place that they could move him somewhere else that, uh, that, that, that will be playing high school football. It's going to be crazy. And it's not just football. I, I mean, so recruiting is really going to be impacted the most uh, in, in, from a football standpoint. But scholarships as a whole are going to be really, really interesting in every sport. Uh, baseball comes to mind. With the changes in the baseball, the Major League Baseball draft, that they're shortening the draft from like 30 rounds to five. And then if you're undrafted in those five rounds, you can only sign for a maximum of $20,000. Well, that, that's a whole lot of BYU guys, you know, over the last few years that are getting drafted in rounds 12 to 25. Right. That's going to be different this year. And those scholarships aren't the same as a football scholarship. Right. So football, at least for men's sports. So women's sports, almost all across the board to balance out football are full scholarships. But for men's sports, you know, you're looking at 
you know, for baseball, there's 12.3 scholarships to spread across an entire roster of, you know, 30 guys on your team, um, 20, 30 guys on your team. And so there's, you know, you can say, oh, they figure it out and there's a formula of like, oh, tuition is worth this much and, you know, books are worth this much and they break those down into parts. And so, you know, you can get, you know, some guys, their scholarship may only be $250 a semester to help cover their books. And so you can, you split that up amongst your team. And so things get weird and they have, I know for spring sports this year, the NCAA has allowed um, a one-year moratorium on roster limits. So if you have seniors that missed out on the season coming back, um, you can roll them forward into the following year without having to worry about going over that 12.3 limit. But really the financials of that um, are kind of big. So even, um, so I live in the Charlotte area and, you know, I feel like we have Charlotte 49ers football season tickets and they, you know, they're in conference USA. So they're going with a lot smaller budget, but it came up to support all of the spring athletes coming back. It was about a hundred thousand dollars. And so the AD hit the, the fundraising trail hard to be able to fund that. And they were able to do it, but other schools are not able to do that. And some are cutting sports entirely. So yesterday, um, Central Michigan University announced that they're cutting a couple of their men's sports. And that puts them in a weird situation where they, in order to be a division one school, you have to have at least six men's sports. And now they only have five. And so they are applying for a waiver of some sort, but I don't know how that's going to work because you can't just add a sport back the next year. Um, but I know there's, you know, like ECU is cutting a few sports out here. I saw like Akron Bowling Green. It's mostly in smaller conferences um, are cutting some sports that just cost a lot of money, um, which, I mean, you can argue if, if you're only paying a kid $250 for a scholar, baseball scholarship, but you're getting them to come to your school and pay out-of-state tuition when they otherwise wouldn't, then the school's probably, the school's coming out ahead, but that's a different thing. But even I saw, um, there was one school, Chicago State, which is in the WAC, and they had a similar thing. And it's, you know, they were, had their board on a Zoom call like we're on right now. And somehow the link got leaked. So people were going in and entering their Zoom meeting and messing up their meeting. But they <laughs> voted to drop a couple sports. And then after they voted, they realized then at that point that they were under the limit and said, okay, wait, we got to undo this vote because now we're not going to be able to stay in Division One. And I mean, that's a school that's got a whole mess problems. They have a $5 million endowment and are $350 million in debt. So that school has a whole other mess of problems. But they're, you know, the result of this COVID, there's going to be multiple sports shed at a ton of schools. You're going to see a lot of smaller schools probably shut down, maybe just drop athletics entirely and football is by far the most expensive sport especially um to insure um because athletic department yeah. insurance is not cheap and football is probably half to 62 thirds of that uh every year for that insurance premium and so it costs a lot of money and you know there's entire schools that are going to be shutting down because um, they can't without students coming and so it's, it's there's crazy. a lot of there's going to be a lot of knock-on effects and the unfortunate reality of it going back to like what you're saying about baseball is there's going to be kids that would maybe be a fringe college player that because they have a bunch of seniors coming back and not entering the draft. Now that fringe kid, you're not going to fill out your roster with them. And so now there's going to be kids that may have gotten a chance to play division one ball, but are going to go end up at a JC. So maybe JCs have a lot of kids next year or they end up at a D2 school or, you know, their college chance just doesn't materialize ever when they would have before, which is, which is a bummer. And it's just a very strange situation right now with all of the economics of this yeah. pandemic. It's going to be really weird. It's going to be really weird everywhere. Um, 
you know, one thing that was really weird that broke today, Garrett, Mac McClung included BYU in his top seven schools. Mac McClung is one of the most exciting YouTube basketball players I've ever seen in my life. And depending on what kind of paradigm you want to watch him through, he kind of reminds me of like old Jason Williams, right? Like that just like the white dude that just balled out and he was awesome to watch. But at times he kind of reminds you a little bit of like Marshall Henderson and it's a little bit more scary. Uh, but big time recruit, um, I guess he's a transfer. So, I mean, he's still a recruit, but transferring out of Georgetown, his top seven schools include the likes of Texas Tech, Wake Forest, USC, Memphis. Memphis may not sound like a hot name, but Penny Hardaway is killing it at Memphis. Like, really they are best bag men in the country to bring in the talent that they're bringing in right now. Football and basketball. They're, they're it's insane, right? It's insane. So Mac McClung is considering all those schools and BYU is among the top seven schools that he's considering. I think when he hit the transfer portal, he had, uh, I'm trying to remember what I read, something like immediately 25 schools that, that hit him up. He's a big deal, man. And he's good. He's a little bit, it scares me a little bit on how he would fit on a team like BYU that has to be so team oriented. Um, but no question, he would be exciting to watch in Provo. And he really does have a big following. Um, I was talking to our friend um, Robbie McCombs, over, uh, who's the editor of Vanquish the Foe. Um, you know, I was talking to him and earlier today, and he mentioned that you know Mac McClung, his when you're talking about him being a YouTube sensation, the Zion Williamson is the only college basketball player that has a larger social media following than him. He's got three quarters of, of a million followers on Instagram, and that is something that I know that the you know that really that plays in a weird way plays to BYU's advantage and if the staff I'm sure they are aware of this but you know they're going to play on that and say like hey look like we're getting real housewives of Salt Lake City here if there's one (laughs) thing Mormons love it's following influencers on Instagram and like even you know Elijah Bryant had his he cultivated and he had a decent size vlog on YouTube and got a good amount of following while he was still in school. If you look at any time Taysom Hill does anything on social media, it's a huge deal. It's just BYU fans love, uh, they love interacting with players on social media and Mormons love influencers. And if they post (laughs) something like he can, if he's thinking long-term about, and we talked about this with harms last week, it's like guys, when they're transferring, they're thinking differently. And if he's thinking long-term about like, what can I do with my brand? What do I want to go with my career, like NBA or not? What do I want to have to fall back on? How can I monetize, you know, my name, image, and likeness? You know, there's a huge spot for BYU right there because of just the culture around social media. Um, You know, the Twitter, sports Twitter inside of Utah, like per capita is, I remember reading a report on this a few years ago. It's like the biggest of, you know, any state. It's the, in terms of interactions with BYU fans, Utah fans, it's just very social media, heavy, heavy, heavy market. And so if the player is interested in that and cultivating that following, it is a great landing spot for him. It, it absolutely is. And, and all of the, you know, getting paid for your likeness and all the NIL stuff that the NCAA passed this last week, I think there's still some things that have to be figured out. But even the, the very nature of BYU TV, and having BYU games in the WCC that are aired on BYU's network, 
I think there's, from everything I've read, I don't think there's anything that would prevent an advertiser from picking up a Mac McClung when the advertiser is paying Mac McClung and BYU to, to air commercials on BYU TV. Uh, it wouldn't be from the university. So I think from what I've read, I think BYU is able to get away with that. Because it is a separate entity. Yeah, because it's a different, the, the paychecks, right? Not coming from BYU, the school. It's just airing on BYU's network. And so, on the flip side of that, if you're talking about an athlete having, you know, media use rights to their own content, because so many of the games are broadcast on BYU TV, of course, BYU TV is going to do what they can to help out the athletes who help build the program. And they are going to be able to use so much of the footage just more so as they wish um, because it's not, you know, trying to get it from ESPN and you put it up on your YouTube channel and then they say, Oh, this is, there's a DMCA violation and you don't own the copyright to this content. So it was taken down. That's not going to happen with a BYU athlete with content from BYU TV because the school is going to work out things and try to help. Um, you know, it's yeah. a rising tide will raises all boats and it's going to help. Um, you know, it's going to help everybody. If you have guys going out and building a brand and saying, Hey, I went to BYU. Like I'm not LDS, you know, it was a little different, but I got used to it and it was awesome. And Hey, look where I am now. Like I've got a brand, I've have a career um, in whatever, whether it's professional in sports or not. And my yep. life is good and I've got a good living yep. going because of this. And they worked with me and helped me build that brand. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, BYU, I think could really help Mac McClung in his professional aspirations and from a basketball standpoint, Mac McClung could help BYU. I think there's risk. He shoots a lot. I think he shot more than 13 shots a game at Georgetown. If you go back through BYU history, there's only a handful of guys that have done that in the last 20 years. Uh, Yoli, Jimmer, Chase Fisher, I think, shot more than 13 times in a game once. There's just there, there hasn't been that many guys that are volume shooters at BYU. Even a guy like TJ Haas or Jake Toulson, who shot a lot last year, they distributed a lot, and they, they had games where they were totally fine taking a back seat. That really isn't Mac McClung's game, so it would be interesting to see how he would fit with this roster. Now, that said, uh, he probably will have to sit out a year, but if he were to get a waiver and join the team for the 2020-2021 season, BYU doesn't really have that bona fide scorer this year. They could use a guy who can create his own and who can go out and try, you know, shoot 15 times a game and get 25 points. Uh, he's not the most accurate shooter, just under 40% from the field for his career. Um, electric player. He can get his own shot from anywhere. He can hit threes. I think he needs a little bit more structure. I think uh, I watched Georgetown several times this year, just, you know, on big East Mondays and things like that. Um, their offense is a little bit more NBA-esque that there's a lot of one-on-one and there's a lot of, you know, pick and roll type situations. I think if Mark Pope can get his hands on a guy like McClung and, and get him to buy into the system that he ran last year, I think there is a role for McClung to, to do really well. Uh, but he'd have to really buy in and it would be an interesting fit, but no question that if he comes, man, BYU fans are going to be pumped up about it. And, and right. The Boom Shakalaka event at the beginning of the year, do they still call it that, would be crazy with that dunk contest. Yes, and it really, you know, going what you're saying about with Mark Pope and kind of his offense on the run, it's BYU is not in a position to, I mean, where the program is at right now, you need to get the best guys you can without, you know, you don't want to wreck the locker room, obviously, but if you can get a guy in his personality is going to fit, then you need to tailor around him. And, we're, you know, it's not – 
Kentucky where you can say, we like you, 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 and you, you fit our system. This is who we're taking. Cool. Everyone said, yes, let's roll. And so you have to get more creative. And so I think, like you said, his offense is different. And so I think that would really test the staff and we would be able to tell quickly, um, you know, what is the staff going to do and really what is in terms of game planning and how, what is the extent that they can go to in terms of finding the flexibility and finding a game plan that works um, depend, regardless of who is out there. And that's kind of the mark of, you know, truly great coaches. You can say, you know, like, no, I'm throwing all this out the window because it's not going to work with what we got today. And so if you can do that, then that, that is awesome. Um, so our last kind of bullet point here that we have is a, there was a new um, vice president announcement was, anna- was announced um, for BYU and the vice president announcement that is Tom Homel's boss. So he, they oversee fundraising and a few other things, um, but the athletics department is kind of their biggest responsibility. And so that's Keith Forking. Um, he was the associate dean at the Marriott School, um, which being a dean at BYU is a little bit different than at other schools. So at other schools, a dean, you know, that is a career position where you, you know, try like trying to become, go from being a teacher to a principal to a superintendent. You know, you try to become a dean and move out of teaching day to day, but at BYU, it's similar to a calling and it's a five-year assignment of, you know, being either an associate dean or dean of a college within the university. Um, But he actually, he was a collegiate athlete. He played basketball at Snow. um, And then before he came to BYU, he was a finance professor at MIT. So he's very well respected in the business world. And I think that can play huge dividends of trying to navigate all of the uncertainty, not so much right now with you know, COVID uncertainty with college athletics, but moving forward of, you know, that 2024 is the big date looming on the calendar with the grant of rights for current conference alignments running out and TV deals running out of navigating that and putting BYU in a position to be financially stable through any shakedown that may happen. And I think, you know, I think that college athletics right now is kind of a big bubble that's looming and it could end up just being last man standing. That's who gets to keep going. Um, but who knows? Um, depends on how things shake out. But what do you? What's kind of your feel? What do you think about um, him coming in, or what that yeah. can mean? I think BYU was due for a shakeup. Uh, former guy Matt Richardson. He'd been in the role for a long time, and I think he'd done a fine job. And you know, certainly had done some really, really good things over the last several years. I think it's always good to have a new voice after you know so long has passed. I mean, even Lavelle had his time that he stepped away, right? Because he felt like the team needed a voice, a new voice. And so I think it's a good change from that respect. I agree with everything you said. I think it's a good idea to have a business savvy guy in a spot that's making these huge decisions in a business world. I mean, we can pretend like college athletics are all about amateurism and amateur sports. It's not. It's a billion dollar business. You need somebody who speaks business. Uh, the, but the thing I guess that maybe strikes me the most with this announcement is what you said at the beginning. I mean, this is Tom Homo's boss. Tom Homo catches a lot of flack. Some of it I think is justified. Some of it probably isn't. But he catches a lot of heat from a lot of fans and boosters for the things that go wrong in the athletic department. And while that is his overarching responsibility, he is the athletics director, it's not like the athletics director at, say, Ohio State, Right. At most schools, the athletics director reports directly to the university president. That's not the case at BYU. It's a little bit different. There's there's just different layers. Uh, Ben Criddle tweeted out this week that uh, I think he said something like, 
Tom Homo is more of like a celebrity uh, that's just kind of in charge of rallying funds. And I don't think that's entirely true, but I think that there's some merit to that, that, that when we hear the word athletic director, we assume an inherent level of responsibility and an inherent level of, uh, you know, job assignments that are assigned to him. That's not the same at BYU and, and Keith Borking's going to come in and take some of those traditional athletic director assignments and be asked to run with them. Uh, it's going to be, between him and Homo working together, it's going to be their responsibility collectively to figure out how BYU can be more competitive, right? To balance the, we want to play P5s, but we don't have P5 TV money. We need to have P5 talent and P5 coaches, but we can't pay P5 coaches. So that is their responsibility to figure out. I think it will be interesting. And like I say, I think a new voice was needed. I think a new voice is needed a lot of times after somebody has been in a role, especially an administrative role like that uh, for a number of years. So I, I think it's a good change and I think it will be interesting to see what comes of it in the next few, uh, few months and, and years. Yeah. And I think especially too, I'm interested to see how things or maybe how the approach changes just coming from finance and being, you know, thinking, being an investment and thinking, you know, having that long-term investment mindset, hopefully that, you know, we kind of get some of that in, um, you know, especially with, you know, the Cougar Club and some of other things and try to get more money coming into the program and find more innovative ways to bring more funds into the program. Because in terms of fan support, BYU is one of the, it's one of the best. I mean, even the latest report is, you know, in, P5 TV money aside, BYU is not actually that far behind the U in terms of overall cash flow. But the, and the athletic department is one of only a handful of athletic departments that are operating without debt in the entire country. So the financial stability of the university itself and the athletic department is second to none. Like I don't, I haven't seen any other schools that are saying, hey, we have the funds. Like actually with, you know, with the CARES Act and all the COVID stuff, schools got so BYU was actually given 32 million dollars without asking for it by the federal government and they said hey no like we have a plan in place like we We're have good. an endowment to fund this you know we send it like there are other schools that need this first but so that idea of self-reliance and being financially stable especially as you know over the next five ten years uh, we'll see how that pays off for BYU and maybe you know being a miserly now for the last little bit of the, you know, thinking like, oh, well, it's BYU, people want, you know, because it's the church and people, you, like people want to work here, we can pay a little less, you know, that may long-term pay off, you know, great dividends depending on what happens um, to the, just the landscape of college sports. I mean, like San Diego State, they may not have a football stadium to play within a couple of years because they don't know if they're going to be able to keep using Qualcomm. Their new stadium hasn't fully gotten funded yet. It's all funded by taxpayer dollars. So they're one state legislative session away from having that axe. And that's pretty much every G5 school is operating on student fees and state tax money that if they say, hey, I mean, there's a lot more things important, important things than, you know, funding your football team. Like we're cutting, you know, this extra money that we're giving you because we need to put it into unemployment or whatever. That is a very real thing that can happen to a lot of programs. So in terms of financial stability, BYU is probably one of, it's one of the best schools in the country, definitely outside of that top, like Notre Dame, Ohio State, Alabama, right. Texas A&M, Texas. Once you get past that first like tier of blue blood, blue blood schools, BYU is probably in the most stable financial position of any school in the country, and it's not even close. Yeah, I agree. 
that is why this podcast is going to be so much fun, Garrett. Uh, Garrett Garrett's more than just a data nerd. We call him the data nerd at CSI, but this is a guy, I mean, he understands business. He understands some finance stuff. He, we're really going to be able to survive our own hardship during COVID of not having sports to talk about by, you know, taking off the wrapper and getting into the business of sports on this podcast. Just don't call me the Darren Rovell of BYU sports. Please. If you do that, I will quit. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. No, that's fair. I would expect you to quit as soon as anybody calls you Darren Ravel. Uh, this has been fun, Garrett. One last, just quick nugget of information. Uh, Trent Ramsey, 2022 offensive lineman out of Florida. He received an offer uh, from BYU this week. Um, a lot of fans know who he is. He's an LDS guy out of Florida. He's got a number of P5 offers like Oregon and a bunch of those Southern schools, ACC schools like Duke have offered. And, and people were wondering why BYU is late to the game. I think Coach Mateos's tweet uh, immediately after Trent Ramsey tweeted that he got an offer is probably an indicator that people should start making that connection, that those two things are related uh, look, Jeff Grimes and Eric Mateos, they, they want to talk to guys. They want to evaluate them as much as they can before they extend offers. One thing that wasn't considered, people see P5 offers go out and they assume that, hey, P5s are offering them, BYU should jump right on that. Uh, with the exception of Oregon, all of the P5 offers that, uh, that, that Trent Ramsey reported before BYU offered, I would take BYU's offensive line over Duke's, over Pits, you know, over a lot of those ACC schools that had offered him early, BYU's offensive line and the future of the offensive line is in a better position than those schools are. So I think BYU can afford to take a little bit more time and be a little bit more careful before jumping on an offer just because other schools are doing it. Um, but nonetheless, great kid. I had a chance to talk to him earlier this week. Really great kid. He really has an affinity for BYU. Long time before he has to sign in February 2022. Uh, but he's going to be a guy that, that uh, BYU is in the mix throughout the duration of it all. Uh, it will be fun to watch. And speaking one last uh, nugget, and I, I love Trent's game and especially love, you know, getting guys from Florida and getting guys that have played in different systems and, you know, different things across the country. Uh, Coach Mateos retweeted a run from Bruce Garrett from last season. And we're going to put it in the show notes because Bruce Garrett, my Bruce Garrett and George Udo were probably my two favorite Um probably my two favorite recruits from this class. Uh, sorry, PD, Tui Pelotu. The PD's in my ward. And so <laughs> if I'm not known to you, but it's just the raw talent of George Udo and just Bruce Garrett is just the scrappiest running back. He reminds me a lot of Max Borgie, and I love Borgie out of Washington State. And he had a fantastic run that was basically – like Reggie Bush's run against Fresno State in 2005 where he gets pinned against the sideline and somehow squeaks through, and it's a foot race, and he just beats everybody. So we're going to put that on the show note. And there's – I mean, in the recruiting rankings, it may not show, but you got to love the guys and find the guys that fit your system and that fit and want to put in the work where you are at and just let them go. I mean, there's – like it's – you Bruce look about – He really is. And even if you look at the, you know, the peak of Bronco Mendenhall's years – yeah, it's like there was a ton of NFL talent, but it wasn't like those were huge recruiting classes. Like Harvey Unga didn't have a ton of offers. Max Hall signed with ASU, but he was only a three-star quarterback. John Beck had some offers too, but it was recruiting was a little bit different then. It's, I mean, Dennis Pitta was a walk-on. Austin Colley was definitely the biggest recruit of that era, but his, you know, his next real target, if he didn't go to BYU, would have been at Cal, which was you know great, but it's not 
you know, Bama or Clemson. So it's, you got to yeah. just find your guys and roll with them um, more than anything. Bruce Garrett. I love, play, I love me some Bruce Garrett. Gabe, uh, Gabe, Brooks, in Texas. <laughs> Gabe Brooks is our national guy out of Texas and he loved Bruce Garrett. As soon as that offer came out, I got in touch with him and, and he loved what Bruce, Bruce brought to the table. I got a chance to talk to Bruce a few times. Uh, you, you hear this narrative from BYU fans that some guys, once they commit to BYU, they just shut it down and, and they would have been rated higher had they played out in the recruiting process. And maybe that's true for some. Uh, but I think most of the time, that's just a narrative that B- the BYU fans say. Bruce Garrett, who's not LDS, by the way, but Bruce Garrett, he really did shut it down. He really, really loved Coach Mateos. He loved Jeff Grimes. He loved what they, they sold him on as his role in this offense. He came on an official visit last June, I believe, so six, seven months before he needed to sign. And he committed almost immediately after he came home, and he shut things down after that. Schools like Arkansas, Baylor, Houston, they were already talking to, to Bruce at the time. They would have talked – there would have been more in Texas. You know, SMU, Texas Tech, those types of schools would have found him as well. Uh, he would have had a lot more offers if he played it out. But the dude found BYU, fell in love. His parents loved the atmosphere in Provo. He shut it down to the point that when other schools would call – he would instruct his high school coach to just tell him he didn't want to talk to him. He wasn't interested. I mean, he, he shut things down because he was locked in with BYU. He's going to be awesome in Provo. Yes. And so I think he will make a big difference even going into the season. Um, you know, we need always need more bodies at running back. And I think he, he's going to do some nice things, especially this year. I think he playing at such a high level in Texas, he's going to be ready to come in and compete from day one. Definitely. Couldn't so, agree more. Well, it's been great. Two episodes down. We'll keep this going. Hopefully we'll have some artwork next week and, uh, you know, keep, keep reaching out to us. Um, uh, you know, either my handle is at GJ McClintock or at Rakudu 10, um, you know, look for Gary McClintock or Jeff Hansen. Um, you know, hit us up if you have mailback questions and please, please, please nominate a Hellion of the week. Um, if you want to just DM us, our DMs are open or, you know, send, just tag us or tell us a story, whatever, you know, let's give some love to uh, Cougar Nation, wherever they are on and off the field. Definitely. Thanks, Garrett. This has been fun. Give them hell this week, man. Peace.